Secure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMV. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson, Big Al, Clopine, hanging out uh, here. Hour two coming at you. Uh, we're talking about retirement reform. And uh, there's some different things that are coming down, potentially, that could affect you. Um, if you're just joining the show, Social Security taxation. Uh, they're thinking about bumping up the Social Security tax at 6.2. They want to get it to about 6.7. Uh, right now, there's a cap on earnings to 118500 In the next four years, they want to get that up to $195,000. So for those of you that are making um, over that one eighteen dollars uh, to $200,000, um, expect a lot more taxes coming out of your paycheck. Uh, then they're also looking at capping the spousal benefit. Um, so for those of you that don't understand what the spousal benefit is, it's just you could take your benefit or your spouse's or half your spouse's, whichever's larger. Um, and so now they're looking at capping that to about $186, right? Eight hundred. I mean, $863. $843. Whatever. <laughs> I don't have it in front of me. Give or take. Give or take a couple of bucks. <laughs> they're, they're reducing the, it. The maximum spousal benefit right now uh, is $1,320. So. Because that's the max yeah. benefit. In other words, if you get the absolute maximum, if your spouse has the maximum So if benefit, you made the most, if you capped out, right, every of year. your Social Security benefits, the most that you can possibly get out of the Social Security system at full retirement age is about thirty grand. Yeah, and it, it comes out to $2,639 per month. Per month. Yes. So the spousal benefit would be half that, right. which is what? $1,300. Yeah. And so they're saying, no, we're going to reduce that. The maximum cap would be 843 and that's by 2022 by the way if you if you want to know what we're talking about the uh, bipartisan uh, policy center 19 uh, high profile people from academia pol politics investment worlds have been uh, putting together their suggestions for showing, showing up retirement including social security they came up with a 146 page report and so we just talked about social security they also are talking about limiting mortgage interest and making things like home equity loans and second mortgages and pulling cash out for refinances and mortgages on 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 uh, you know, like like second trustees uh, non deductible so we'll have to see about that and then this is one they've been talking about for a while Joe which is increasing the um, or saying that you can have only a certain amount in your retirement accounts remember before for the for the budget uh, proposals or uh, the last few years they wanted to cap it at somewhere around two and a half million because they based it upon the, the a, defined benefit yeah defined benefit plan uh, benefit anyway so now what they're saying is <laughs> defined benefit benefit benefit, benefit. <laughs> It's I'm nonsense. I listen to go back to the podcast hour one. I was a lot tighter. <laughs> you know they were something about the divine benefit benefit. Anyway, ten million bucks. They're saying they can't have any more in your eye. So what they're calling it the the Romney plan because yeah. what Mitt had I don't know what a hundred million in yeah. his retirement account something like that. Well, he got bad advice. Well, he did get bad advice. Because, all right, so I, here, here's what ex happened. Explain with, that because I think a lot of people don't realize that. So Mitt Romney. Uh, with his company, right, Bain Capital, yes, 
um, is that, all right, well, so he had company stock inside his retirement account. And so that stock went up thousands of percent, right? And so he's funding a normal, probably defined benefit plan, something like that, right? Where you could put in maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars. So people are thinking, how the heck does he have $20 million or even 10 or 100, which was allegedly you know, said, is because there is a high growth component stock inside the retirement account. So people are saying, well, that's really cool, right? You, get, you know, I want my high flyers in my retirement account because it grows tax deferred. I don't have to pay any taxes. That thing's growing. So I get compound growth. All right, well, think about it. All of that growth at some point is going to be taxed at ordinary income rates, right? So at 70 and a half, good old Mitt is going to have to take a required minimum distribution from that account, starting at about 4%. So he's going to have to take out a ton of money, and he's going to be in the top bracket, so he's going to lose half of it anyway. So let's say he got a 50% tax deduction by putting the money in because he was probably in the highest tax bracket as he's putting money in. So I put in $100,000, I save $50,000. That $100,000 grows to a million, right? And I mean, times this by several million. Right. But you get the gist here. So I saved, I got a tax deduction on uh, for 50 grand, right? But now that $100,000, because of his stock grew so much, now it's worth a million bucks. Now I have to pull the thing out of my retirement account. I have to pay tax on the full million. All ordinary income rates as a forced distribution because his his RMDs are going to be huge. So he's going to lose half of the growth as well. Let's say he didn't put the company stock inside his retirement account. He just invested in the company stock outside of the retirement account, right? In a brokerage account. That would have been a lot better for him because... A, when he sells that stock, he'd be subject to a capital gains rate, which is significantly less. What the top rate right now is 20% versus 39.6, right? But then he's got the net investment income tax. We call that another 3.8, all right? So we're at, let's call it 24 versus 40. That's a lot lower. Then when he passes away, there's a full step up in cost basis on that stock. So the heirs will not have to pay a capital gains tax. There's going to be an estate tax issue, depending on what type of planning that he's doing. But there's a full step up in basis at death. When you inherit a retirement account, it blows up on the heirs because it's all ordinary income to the heirs. Right now, there's a stretch IRA, which the non-spouse beneficiary can take out a required distribution based on their life expectancy. So let's say a a five-year-old, for instance, inherits that account and the life expectancy is age 85. That five-year-old has another 80 years to take a distribution from the account. What they're looking at doing in this bipartisan policy center, or whatever they are, right? they're saying, no, we're going to get rid of that stretch IRA. It's going to be five years max that you have to take 100% of the retirement account out of the shell of the retirement account and pay 100% ordinary income tax. So the larger these accounts are going to be, right? At so there's going to be larger RMDs, which are going to be taxed at higher rates because... Uh, how the marginal rate works is the more income that comes out of the plan, the more income tax that you pay. But then when you pass away, right, then the kids will have to take it out within five years. If you have substantial dollars in these accounts, you're going to lose or the kids are going to lose half of it. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right, Joe. And and so just to summarize, so Mitt Romney, so he has his company stock inside his IRA. It grows, I don't know what it grew, hundredfold, thousandfold. I mean, I don't know how you get to a hundred million, but it's a lot, right? And so all of those dollars get taxed at the highest tax rate when it comes out. Now, if he'd done and had that same investment outside of the retirement account, if he never sold the investment, just had dividends from it, well, there's no capital gain tax. And when he passes away, that basis gets stepped up. In other words, when the kids get it, they don't pay any tax on it if they were to sell it. Now think about it in the IRA. Then if he passes, the kids will have to take that money out taxed at ordinary income rates. It's 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 a monumental mistake, actually. And and now, Joe, as you say, with this bipartisan policy center, one of the things that they want to do is get rid of this stretch IRA because it's it's really a pretty good deal. Because the old rule was that you had to take out that money. The that the spouse is one thing. The spouse can can keep it just like a regular IRA. But non-spouse, so the kids, grandkids, when they get it, it used to be they had to pay. They had to pull all that money out within five years. Several years ago, they came up with the stretch IRA concept. Yeah, 16 years ago. I think it was 2000. Yeah, exactly, 2000. And so what that means is that each person that gets this who's not a spouse can then do required distributions over their lifetime. Why is that important? Well, because then what happens is you don't if you if you have to take something out over five years, it's going to push you into a very high tax bracket. Think of Mitt Romney's, for example, and his kids, grandkids. Gigantic tax bracket, and then they end up losing most of it just paying taxes. If you can stretch it over time, you can keep yourself in lower brackets. So that's a really pretty big deal, Joe. Right. I mean, let's say if you got a million bucks in your retirement account, which a lot of you do. Then you pass away, it goes to the kids. You're thinking, hey, you know what? I'm going to give a nice inheritance to the kids. Well, they have five years to take out that million bucks. If they do it uh, you know, strategically throughout the five years, that's a couple hundred thousand dollars. And let's say they're still working, right? Maybe they might be in their peak earning years when they inherit those dollars. Well, now they have their income plus another couple hundred thousand dollars of income on top of theirs. It's going to blow them up, right? And so looking at strategies to kind of diffuse this thing, Roth conversions is one, um, you know, maybe taking, spending your retirement accounts first, pushing out Social Security. There's a lot of different strategies that you have to look at. I mean, and how about if you have 200,000, I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter. If you have less than 100 grand, it's not going to, it's not going to have that big of an effect on, you know, your kids. Right. But if you have a good chunk of money, which one of the largest assets that we find right now with our listeners is in their retirement accounts. Not necessarily their house anymore, it's their retirement account. And you want to make sure that you protect that as much as you can. You do, Joe. And 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 the thing is, when it comes to retirement accounts, and we'll get into this more next segment, but you do want to look at maybe getting some of that money out into a Roth IRA, because then even though the, the stretch IRA may be gone, all that money will come out tax-free to your heirs. And it's it's just understanding the strategies and doing the right thing, not making mistakes, because you can save more in taxes than you think. But you must use a forward-looking tax-efficient strategy. All right, we got to take a break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth, right here on AM760 KFMB. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. My name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner. I'm with Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Go to purefinancial.com, P-U-R-E, financial.com. We're a fee-only registered investment advisor uh, right here in Southern California. We manage about $1.4 billion of client assets and uh, one of the largest fee-only financial planning firms. We're a financial planning firm first uh, that manage assets. We're not a money manager that backdoors some, you know, 
back of the envelope type planning. Um, we are the forefront on financial planning and that's what we pride ourselves on. So go to purefinancial.com. Hey Al, I got some email questions for you. Okay, good, what do you got? I got some interesting ones. I'm, uh, I don't know how I got on this email list. It's from Investopedia. Okay. You ever heard of it? Sure. You heard of Wikipedia, right? Yeah, but I've heard of Investopedia as well. So Investopedia is kind of like Wikipedia mm-hmm. for investors. For investors, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they send me emails and they're saying, hey, Joe, need some more uh, favors from you. So you answer them. I do. We yeah. answer them on the air. Yeah, got it. And you have them listed the podcast? <laughs> yeah, I just send it over to <laughs> Investopedia. All right. I said, well, and then I take credit for it because you <laughs> actually answer the questions. <laughs> you got it. I see how this works now. So, um, okay, here's one. This is an interesting one. Here was the title of the email. Can an SEC licensed broker-dealer transfer your 401k account into an IRA without your permission? Hmm. Without your permission? Yes. Um, So here's the summary. Okay. Here's the actual question. All right. Can the broker-dealer also allow your husband to withdraw funds from your 401k change to IRA account without your permission? Is this a violation of fiduciary duty? Should I consult a lawyer? So, a few things here. I'm just going to take a deep dive. All right. And kind of figure out what the backstory is. So, it, it sounds like um, an individual. So, oh, so we'll call it the wife. The wife um, had a 401k. So, she's working. She's got a 401k. And, and then all of a sudden, the 401k went to an IRA. Yes, then the husband authorized it. And then all of a sudden the IRA is now being um, having withdrawals taken from it by the husband. Got it, okay. And is this true? Should I consult a lawyer? Yes, consult a lawyer. <laughs> well, ask your husband first what the heck's going on. <laughs> yeah, right. But all right, so here, here's, I think, something that people don't understand. A 401k, an IRA, a 403b, a TSP, a 450, a defined contribution plan. Your retirement accounts are separate property. Yeah, they're your assets they're your, solely. Yes, they're your. it's in your name. There's no such thing as a joint retirement account. Right, and so your husband has rights to beneficiary. You, yeah, you, know, you if, have to die. You have to die, right? Right. But before that, it's all you. No one else can get that money. Right. He can't even look at the account without your permission. Correct. So let's say you have an IRA, your husband has an IRA, and you have a joint brokerage account, and it's all at one custodian. Charles Schwab, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, Vanguard, whatever, right? So that's the custodian. And you have the three different accounts at that custodian. The custodian, by law, cannot share all three accounts with one user. So if I'm looking at my account and I'm married and my wife has her IRA, I log in to my login, I'm only going to be able to see my IRA in the joint account. I cannot see my wife's account without special permission to see all of the accounts. So if that tells you anything, there's no, no, the husband or the spouse cannot take a distribution from your retirement account. Yes, consult a lawyer. Yeah, now there could, Joe, there could be a way though. Let's say the the wife- Unless there's a financial power of attorney. that's what I was gonna say. The wife granted a, a, a fully encompassing financial power of attorney that grants the husband right to do that. Right, so then you got to be careful on what type of financial power of attorney that you have. You is it a general power or is it springing? Yes, yeah. Right, so general, you're giving that individual general power of attorney at any time, where a springing power of attorney is that you have to be inca- incapacitated. And some powers of attorney say there's two uh, doctors that will have to say that you're incapacitated. Now, in this case, if the wife um, 
granted that a general power of attorney, then the husband does have right to do that. Now, if the, if the wife did not grant that and the husband fraudulently created one and forged her signature, yeah, that's attorney. Yep. Fraud. Yes. I would first consult a marriage counselor, <laughs> second, a divorce attorney, and then a litigator, right, to make sure that you can get your money. Because it's, we're working on a case, hypothetically, right? Okay. Is that husband and wife, right? The wife is coming to us and saying, you know what? Hey, I'm getting a divorce. Can you help me out? You know, things like that. Sure. Right. Tell us a little bit more about your situation. You know, hey, we've been married for whatever years. Husband had a couple million bucks. They had a joint account and they had he had um, some big IRAs and things of that nature. So the advisor was advising both spouses, husband and wife. Right. So he's got a fiduciary or she's got a fiduciary duty, depending, I guess, what type of advisor that person is, to both couples. Sure. And as soon as there's a divorce, you have to know that there's a conflict of interest. You can't say, hey, I'm going to advise both of you here, right? Because each person now has their own objectives and alternative, you know, yes, the, um, motives. So apparently the advisor is kind of siding with the husband. Okay. And the husband has the majority of the assets. And he's draining the accounts. Got it. Right? By hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Just blow. And I don't know what he's, you know, he's probably burying it in his backyard, things like that. You know, she's like, well, is there something that I can do? What can I do here? Well, you know, as you go through the d divorce proceedings, I'm not a divorce attorney. I've never been married, so I don't know about <laughs> divorce. But I'm guessing, this is my opinion, is that when you go through it, there's going to be, you know, look back period. Of some sort, I would imagine, and all of a sudden they're going to be like, "Okay, you had two million dollars. Now it's you have two hundred thousand, and you want to give yeah. your wife a hundred thousand dollars. What? Where did the money go?" Well, I think so, and I, and I'm also not a divorce attorney, but what I've been told is that if there's a date of separation, then you could potentially use that date and get the assets valued as of that date. So, in other words, if there was two million dollars as of that date, now there's two hundred thousand dollars. I think you got a pretty good case that. The date that you separated, that you should use the valuation on that date. I mean, if you don't have a retirement game plan today, here are three reasons why you should. All right. First of all, it could help you identify unnecessary risks you are taking right now with your money that you didn't even know existed. Number two, it could reveal new ways to make the most out of every nickel you've saved for your retirement. And then finally, it could uncover the gaping holes in your current plan or help avoid critical mistakes that could cost you thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. Got to take another break. We'll be back in a second. Got a couple more questions for Big Al. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth right here on AM 760 KFMB. Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. Joe Anderson, Big Al. Uh, go to purefinancial.com to learn more information about us. We're one of the largest fee-only financial planning firms here in Southern California. Manage $1.4 billion of client assets, about 1,600 clients. Here's a question for you, Alan. Okay. This is from Investopedia. Okay. All right. <clears throat> this is kind of a long one here. I'm 47 years old. I have around $100,000 in a traditional IRA. I haven't contributed anything in that account for a long time. My current job offers a 457 and a 401A plan, which I try to contribute to every paycheck. Should I transfer my traditional IRA funds to my job's 401A or 457 account? What are the tax consequences of that transfer? 
Should I just keep my traditional IRA and use it until I retire? If I transfer that money to a 457 or 401A account, should I do it in a one-time transfer or installment transfers in five years or so uh, for less of a tax penalty? Got it. So that's the question. Wow, that's, that is pretty involved. Okay, well, it's uh, pros and cons, right? Uh, yeah, you can keep your IRA separate as you have been for year after year, and you can start a new 457 and 401A plan at your new employer. There's no reason to roll the IRA in the plan. I will give you an advantage in just a second. But let's say you decide to keep it separate. There are advantages to that. The Probably the main one, I would say, is you have more investment choices when it's in an IRA. 457 plan, 401A, you're going to be limited to the investment choices that are in that plan. With an IRA, you've got the whole universe of options available. And some uh, options are very good options, like Vanguard funds, for example, index funds, ETFs, and, and other custodians and, and companies, uh, mutual fund companies as well, have very low-cost investments, and that can be a really, really good way to go. I will give you a, a reason why you might want to roll it into the 401A. Uh, if you well, hold on a second, because a 401A is probably an after-tax plan. So it depends. I don't know where this person, he, he probably works for a hospital. He could work for the government. And so a couple of different things with IRAs, if it's a traditional IRA, I don't know if it's a, if it was a non-deductible IRA plan, if he made deductions from it, was it an, a 401k plan? It doesn't say here. Yeah. That we, was right. So if it's sure. just a traditional IRA, he may not even be able he to may. move that money into the 457 plan because a 457 plan is a deferred comp plan. Oh, I agree. But, right? a, but a 401a can be different. But a 401a plan is also a supplemental plan for that employer. It's, it's not, it, it, it's not a 401k. Yes. Right. So you with IRAs, you can basically, in most cases, always move that to the 401k plan. But a 401a might be an after-tax plan. It might be a plan where they had to um, elect to put money in there where they're giving them the match. And if you never elected to put in the 401a plan, you can't put any money in there. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's complex. It has to depend on the rules. True, true. One benefit of the 457 plan is that you can take that money out at any age. So that's a huge benefit. But I don't think he can, without looking at the plan document, yeah. I don't think he probably could even move the money into the 457 or 401A. Okay. Well, let's let's say just for argument's sake, he can. Okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's a reason to roll the IRA into the plan that would allow it if it does. And that is if you don't have any other IRAs and if you and your spouse or if you're single, if your income is at a certain level where it's too high to do a Roth contribution, if you don't have any IRAs, you can do what's called a backdoor Roth contribution. In other words, you can put money into an IRA, a non-deductible IRA, and then you can turn right around and convert it. Okay, and when you convert it, there's no tax to pay because you didn't get a deduction in the first place. So that would be the advantage if it's available. I think, Joe, I've seen some plans where you can do this, but you're right. It's very complicated, and every um, every plan is different. Right, so you it's, it's, it's the plan document yeah, that matters. You, you have to, yeah, you have to go back to the plan. I, but I would say, you know... There's so many things we don't know, right? We have to ask a lot of follow-up questions to know what, what would be the recommendation. But but like I said, there's pros and cons on either one. So here's another thing that he asked is that should I do this or she asked, should I do this in one-time transfer installment transfers? So it doesn't matter because this is a tax-free transaction, assuming that you could put the money into the plan. Yeah, that's and that's important to know. And, because, and, it, right, if, if, if we're assuming that he can or can't, right? Yeah. And that's a huge assumption because I, yeah. I don't think he can. Okay. 
But you would just move it all in one fair swoop. It's, it, it, it's a tax-free transaction. So it's not like you're chipping away at it and paying tax to put it into the plan. You just do a custodial transfer right into that plan. That would be tax-free. So you would do 100% of it at once. Yeah, there's no reason not to. Because, yeah, exactly. There is no penalty. There's no tax to pay. So, right. It, if, if you're going to do this, you would do it as in a lump sum. As you say, Joe, if you can do it. Here's another one for you, bud. Okay. I've read about the presidential election cycle. And I'm curious as to what actions I should be taking in terms of my asset allocation. When should I take those actions? How conservative would you recommend I become prior to the election? What are the most effective portfolio management strategies you would recommend in order to maintain or at least mitigate risk? I'm a small time investor. I work with a small amount in an online brokerage account, as well as accounts with companies such as Acorns and Betterment. I do have the ease and benefit of diversifying risk away, referring to the modern portfolio theory. Interesting. Well, I I will say recent history. Let's go back to 2012. And um, we had uh, a concern that uh, President Obama was actually going to be reelected. And we had the fiscal cliff coming, looming. In other words, tax rates were going to go up and and forced government reduction in spending. This was going to be in 2013. And we had the downgrade of the uh, the S&P downgraded the United States Treasury, the T-bills. So we had all these things going on at one time. A lot of people got out of the market because there was just what, what seemed to be too much risk. Well, of course, those that did, the stock market absolutely zoomed at that point. There were, and and uh, you know, the thing is, we avoided the fiscal cliff. President Obama did get reelected, and it turned out that the downgrade of the of the Treasury bills wasn't really that big a deal. So here's my answer. That's just what happened last time. Here's my answer, though: is there is no evidence that there's any sort of market swing one way or another with a presidential election. It can happen. And it may happen, but there's no reason to make any drastic changes in your portfolio just because of that. In fact, the more important thing is regardless of, of where you are in the presidential election or the market cycle or anything, is to spend a little bit of time figuring out what's the right investment allocation for you. And that takes a little planning because that that's where you have to come up with something that we call the family index, meaning that it's, it's important to understand what rate of return that do you need to make your retirement and your goals work in other well, words it sounds like he's a pretty young person right he's using acorns you know what acorns is i uh, guess i've heard of it i don't know what it is i mean it's like you ever is, is that a money management software no it's like or is that a robo advisor if you ever have you know you take your jar of pennies yeah and you go somewhere and you deposit the pennies yeah and then you get your yeah it's like for you, you take the loose change and things oh, like that. Oh, it's a loose change thing. Kind of. I mean, it's okay. for very small Something dollar like figures that. Yeah. where and, you and got a, a couple of bucks or a hundred bucks. And you mentioned or, Betterment, which is, is a robo-advisor. Right, for very small, mm-hmm. um, like, minimums. Right? Yeah, and robo-advisor, by the way, that's a that's an online service that will help you allocate your investments. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so it sounds like he doesn't, uh, or she doesn't have um, significant wealth. So that's the problem where it's like, all right, well, let me time. Let me get in. Mm-hmm. Let me get out. Or the, so if you're young and you have time, what you want to do is you want to be patient. You want to have the strategy. I mean, if if you're in your 20s and 30s, I would have a probably 100% equity portfolio, and I would pick a, a, a fund that has 
you know, fully diversified. You know, total stock market index fund. Right. Something right. like that. And then there you go. You're good until you start accumulating, I think, a little bit more wealth. And don't look at it. Don't watch it every day. Right. I think that's good advice. And, and so that comes down to... Again, trying to relay this to a presidential election, you you really can't. In other words, there's there's no. It's like selling me and go away. Yeah, there's no evidence that it's going to do one thing or another. Santa Claus effect. Regardless of who wins or who loses. 30 30 day moving averages. Exactly. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Technical analysis. I mean, it, it works with if you're high frequency trader that are getting in and out of the markets in milliseconds, but if if you're using Acorn. Just just hold on, buddy. It's going to be all right. All right. We got to take a break. Uh, when we get back, we're going to wrap up the show, Al. And I got um, some s- Mary Beth Franklin oh, wrote nice. a, a piece about reverse mortgages. Oh, cool. So we can talk a little bit about that. That's getting some press lately. So don't go anywhere. Uh, we'll be back in just a second. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Right here on AM760 KFMB. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner, Big Al Clopine. He is a CPA. Thanks for tuning in, wrapping things up. Talked about quite a few things today. Um, the Bipartisan Policy Committee came together and had some best thought practices of what they can do to increase the average middle class retirement by 50%. That, yeah, that's what they're claiming. They want to shore up Social Security. They want us to somehow get us to save more by having uh, more less debt. Well, less debt and more more required uh, retirement plans for certain employers, as well as um, get rid of the stretch IRA. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I think that will increase. Uh, you know, I was going to get into some of this reverse mortgage stuff, but I just got three or four emails from people that have tax questions for you, Al. In, so in the last second. Okay. I think I'm going to go there, if you okay. don't mind. Yeah, sure. What do you got? We can go with reverse mortgages next week. Okay. Sounds good. Um, my wife and I are 83 years old. Okay. We we will sell our home for about $400,000. Okay. Will we pay capital gains tax when moving to an apartment for 2500 bucks a month? Okay. The answer is no. I don't even care if you if you spend a dollar to buy the home. The total gain is defined as whatever you sold the home for minus your what you bought it for plus improvements. That's going to be less than $500,000, married couple. I'm presuming you've lived in it two out of the last five years. As long as that's true, there's no tax to be paid. It's, it's called a Section 121 exclusion. And interestingly enough, Joe, it's available every two years. A lot of people think it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing because the old rules 30 years ago, there was a once-in-a-lifetime exclusion. Right. Well, was that, that like 15, 16 years ago? Yeah, more than that. 20, 20 plus. Years ago. Yeah, yeah, and that was a $125,000 once-in-a-lifetime exclusion. We still get asked that question. I mean, every few weeks. Right. Isn't it a once-in-a-lifetime exclusion? No. The $500,000 exclusion, married couple, every two years. And if you're single, just divide that by two. It's $250,000. Question for you then. All right. So um, the this couple, 83 years of age. Yeah. All right. So let's say one spouse dies. Okay. Okay. How long can they get the $500,000 exclusion versus the two fifty? 
Uh, that's a good question. So typically, it's it's um, it's just within that so, same tax year. So if be, let's say because because you'll file a joint tax return in but the don't year. You, don't you get the following year as well a joint or no? I don't think so. No, not no. It's it's you you get two more years after the the, the year of death if you have kids if you have dependents, right? But if you're if you don't have dependents, then it's just that one tax year. So, but usually it doesn't matter, Joe, because when in California, when one spouse dies, the other spouse gets a full step, step up, up in basis, basis, and so there is no gain anyway on a sale. That's why we call him Big Al. How about that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> See, he wasn't 100% on that, but he came back with, like, this is why. <laughs> it didn't matter anyway if I didn't know this because I know this, and this is fact. Yes. <sighs> okay. Uh, it's June. And I have not taken my RMD, my required minimum distribution. Okay. Should I let the funds grow until end of year or take average withdrawals until the end of the year? <laughs> I could care less. Personal choice is my answer. As long as you do it by December 31st. You don't think it makes more sense to take it out at the end of the year versus the beginning? Uh, how, uh, this is assuming, I guess, we got to ask some well, questions here. Does he need the income, or yeah. she need the income? Well, if 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 you want to get into to supreme detail, I would take it out earlier rather than later, because assuming that the account is going to grow over time, you'd rather get it out of the account because you don't want the growth in the IRA. You want it outside of the IRA, which will be subject to capital gains taxes. But you could also argue the other you could argue say well here all of that growth could continue to grow tax deferred for you you could you could argue that but then then you're just only going to take a required distribution based on 1231 the previous year's account balance right yeah but then the following year your rmd's it's higher because you have more growth in there because you have more money in the account i I think if you run the numbers you're in worse worse shape the the truth is it's it's we're talking nickels well I mean, unless it, if this is Mitt Rodney, yeah, true. If it's Mitt, we might we might have some different advice for you. True, true. Okay, all right. Here's uh, one last one. Okay. Um, should I take money out of my annuity to pay for my house? Is kind of what the the title says. So, um, the individual. I'm 69 years old. Okay. My husband is 71 years old. Okay. Okay. We cannot afford the note on our home. With our retirement income, we have two annuities: one for three hundred thousand, one for six hundred thousand. Both are about three to six years old. I want to know if I cash in the three hundred thousand dollar annuity, what kind of penalties and taxes will I have to pay? Hmm, good question. Well, I guess first question is: is the annuity in a retirement yeah, account is it qualified or, or, not? or not? If it's in a retirement account, every dollar that you pull out is fully taxable. So you would only net about 150. Yeah. So you you would get a lot less than you thought, and if it's in a if it's in if it's a non-qualified if it's outside of a retirement account, any growth inside that annuity is going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. Let's say you invested 250 thousand. Now it's worth 300 thousand, for example. So 50 thousand dollars of gain that would all be taxed at ordinary income. So that that's the first thing you got to think about. And the second thing, or actually simultaneously, is what the surrender is, because if you bought it, what did what they say three to six years ago? Six years ago? Yeah, what does it say here? Uh, both are about three to six years okay. old. Okay. 
So they both still. Well, that's a big deal. I mean, yeah, because yeah. usually surrender period on an annuity could is it seven years, yeah. eight years, something like that. So there could be a pretty expensive surrender. If it's six years versus three years, that you probably is, have a lot higher a surrender big, charge. Big difference. A lot of these, uh, like a wouldn't Joe? Wouldn't you say like a, a, a? I mean, I guess there's no such thing as a typical annuity, but a, a, you might expect a seven year surrender. First year would be seven percent surrender. Second year six percent. Third year. Five percent, and like so that. on. It's like maybe it could be seven, seven, six, yeah, four, three, one. You know, whatever. So if it's if you if you bought it three years ago, the surrender could be could be five percent or whatever, right? Four. But the internal cost on that variable, in, uh, I mean, is it a fixed annuity, variable annuity? I don't know. And you're right. Is it in the retirement account? Because maybe sometimes people call their, let's say she's a teacher and they had a, a tax sheltered annuity, sure. which is actually a four hundred three b plan, which yes. is. A retirement account, yeah. which everything will come out as ordinary income. Right. But if she bought it three or six years ago, all right, so there can't be that much gain in the overall account. Pro- yeah, probably So then not. the taxation is only going to be on the gain and the penalty is only going to be on the gain. So depends on what the gain is, right? Yeah. And but the, there's no penalty and, in a sense. The, the surrender charge would be on the full account balance. Yeah, exactly. The surrender, you got to look at that. But then then sometimes, you like, let's say your surrender charge is 4%, but the annual internal fees are 4 or 5%. It's like, so, well, what's the difference? Let's just get, you know, rip the bandaid off and get the pain with over with. Right, right. Yeah, you just yeah. take it out. You're, you're paying that regardless. Yeah. And so I, I, I might say if, the, if, if there's little, very little surrender or no surrender, if there's not much of a tax consequence, if it's outside a retirement account, if the annuity doesn't really have that much of, of a great rate of return, yeah, I'd cash that out and pay off the whole mortgage. Why not? Here's what I would say. I'd move. <laughs> you can't afford it. Then move, right? Or... You do this. You're like, an, all right, your current income is not being able to afford the payment. You have $900,000. So then you take a look at the $900,000. Can that $900,000 create more income than you're currently generating? It doesn't sound like they're taking any income from yeah. the $900,000. Yeah, in other words. So you- instead of taking the full $300,000 out to pay the mortgage off, you create an income stream from the $900,000 right, to pay the additional you know, to, to create more income to, to satisfy your lifestyle. Uh, yeah, exactly. And you're 69, your husband's 70, right? So you got 20 years, $900,000. You pull out 50000 bucks a year. Is that going to be enough to pay? If, if, if that's not enough, then sell the home, downsize. Yeah. Or don't do anything. Get a reverse mortgage. You could do that too. There's we'll talk more choices. about that next week. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, at 69 and 71, they could pro- it depends on what the mortgage is. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot we don't know. Right. And we don't know their goals. So they want to take that <laughs> money and give it to their. It's hard to answer questions like this when, I mean, we know about 10% of what we need to know. <laughs> well, we can talk in generalities. Yeah, right, right. All right. That's it, bud. You got anything else? No, that's it for me, too. All right. Hey, go to our website if you like. If you want more information about our firm, go to purefinancial.com, purefinancial.com. Do me a favor. Go to our podcast um, on iTunes, Your Money, Your Wealth. You can subscribe right there, and our uh, podcast will come to your iPhone, smartphone, iPad, computer, whatever. Boom. Automatically downloaded um, weekly for you. So then you can just hit play and listen to it anytime you'd like. Uh, if you like the show, tell us you like the show. Write a little review. If not, uh, tell us you hate it. That's fine, too. We're just a f- transparent firm. Usually, I love Big Al. <laughs> Anderson's kind of a yeah. I love, I love Big Al and George. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, that's it for us. For Big Al Clopin, I'm Joe Anderson.
Show's called Your Money or Wealth. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. We'll see you next week.